five minutes a day of walking is going to start to prove to yourself that you are capable and you can do it. Welcome everyone to the Driving Vision Podcast brought to you by the Ziegler Auto Group. And here with me, Auto Group Director of Talent Development, Mike Van Ryan. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, Sam. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, like it if you do, and leave a comment. Hey, everybody, two outstanding segments today. First, a conversation with automotive news reporter John Hutter as part of our new Meet the Automotive Press segment. Then join Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon race director Carrie Drake as she reviews driving a marathon vision towards April's race in Kalamazoo, Michigan. First now, we go to automotive news and John Hutter. With us today, automotive news reporter John Hutter. John, welcome to the show. Oh, great. Thanks. Glad to be here. So, John, you have such a great perspective. What a great time to be a part of the automotive news press. Like, auto, the auto industry is changing, and it's changing quickly, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, I mean, any interest rate change, you know, kind of reshuffles the market. Anybody gets a break in, you know, supply chain, I would imagine, reshuffles kind of the market. Yeah. So let's talk about your background a little bit. How long have you been a reporter in the auto industry? What's your background that way? I, I've written, I used to write for auto body shops, worked okay. for a business a news outlet there. And that was about six years. And then I've been with Automotive News as a finance and insurance and, and auto retail reporter for about a year and a half now. What was the, what was the most surprising part about becoming a, a reporter in the automotive space? You know, that's, that is really fascinating. I think just kind of learning, kind of learning the nuances of, you know, kind of the industry, the, you know, as a, as a reporter, you know, you, well, automotive news is just pretty good, but you know, like historically you're not, it's not really that, you know, a high paying job. You, you, you know, you, you buy your Corolla or a Civic or run it into the ground. I mean, pretty much that's what a whole newsroom parking lot looks like. So you're not buying a lot of vehicles. So kind of getting used to the, you know, what the no, more normal consumers buying is, is like and how, you know, how that process works, it, you know, it, it, interesting. So looking at it from outside in, and now you're on kind of the inside, you're talking to auto dealers, you're talking to vendors. Is there anything that kind of surprised you coming into the auto space about the automotive industry? Was there anything, was there any positive surprise for you? Well, I think, I suppose right now, the, what I think I think was, was kind of surprising, but I mean, you know, it's a good, in a good way, was the idea of salespeople with, with regulars, which I mean, you know, speaks to a lot about your industry, you know, to me, I guess I've always kind of approached, I, I, you know, cars is more of a, a more of a commodity. I mean, you still buy something you like, but it, you know, it, I partly, I think also because I've, I've lived in so many different States working for so many different publications. So the idea of kind of the community dealer and the, you know, having the regular and that, that customer base, I think is really interesting. And again, that speaks highly of your salespeople that they have. Yeah. That, that they have repeat return clientele and that there's a relationship that's created over time and that they can have that relationship for long term, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, like I said, I haven't I haven't lived in a single spot to that degree or or you know or looked at vehicles in that way. So that, that's nice to see. Yeah. So you just came out with a big of auto news that released Monday covering a bunch of different topics. So one of the things that's surprising to us in the auto world is used the used car market, right? So oh, yeah. coming into COVID values decreased going through COVID and then coming out of it, they shot through the roof. What's up with used cars? What's your perspective on? Well, it, it is interesting because from what kind of what we hear is there's still there's still the pent up demand for new. And so that and yet, you know, there's not as much of a supply of that. And at the same time, 
the you know the fleets, the rental car companies, the leasing has been down. The normal source of kind of late model used cars are are also you know short of supply as well. So yeah. it kind of keeps. I mean, used car prices are declining, but so far what we hear from most of the experts is you know that it's it shouldn't drop off a cliff. Like there's just there's still so much demand through the system. There's you know there's just not enough inventory in in terms of new or late used you know so so it's not going to quite collapse to, yeah. to the same degree you know to what maybe well, people were afraid of so from your perspective as you're talking to dealers and as you're talking to vendors the the age-old question we love that we get every day is is when should i buy a car if i'm in the marketplace for a new or used cars new new inventories are coming back up used values are yep. increasing a little bit any any insights into that from your perspective well the one the one i keep watching really and, and this doesn't really help you on the use side but on e power each month them and they and lmc automotive they track what percentage of vehicles are being sold above msrp and from my perspective if i'm you know again if i'm if i'm looking to buy a new car i would wait till at least it hit you know it's a the you know it's down to zero percent are being sold above yeah. or you know or like a small percentage maybe you know like the corvette or something like that where it's huge item man. And so I looked it up in February, their last estimate, and they might have locked in a final one, but they were 31% are were being sold from sold above MSRP. It's yeah, down from the high of 48% in July 2022 is what they've determined was the absolute peak in prices. So, you know, I, for as a as a consumer, if you're looking for new, I suppose I would kind of follow that pretty closely. And once it starts dropping to a level you can live with, you know, or then you go, then you jump in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. you got to time it with interest rates, which is the other one. You've got two more Federal Reserve, what are probably going to be increases coming up in March and May. So, you you know, there's, you know, that's, that's other timing wise. But yeah, I guess I've been watching kind of the, the MRP percentage. So it's interesting. You talk about the interest rate changes. Cox came mm -hmm. out this past week and they talked about average rates for new and used vehicles. This was surprising to me and to my team. Guess what the average used car interest rate was in the month of February, according to Cox last week? You know, I, I haven't looked it up. Did it hit 10? 10 13.65% according Man. to Cox. And then also according to Cox on the new side, just under 10 at 8.67%. Yeah. Which is shocking. That's higher. Isn't that higher than what you would guess on used at almost 14? And then even all nine. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. You hit. You, it's funny because you have some of the the people who have really been in the industry for a while. You know, have memories of it being that high. But for I think a lot of people and a lot of consumers, especially first time car buyers, that's not something they've dealt with in a, in yeah. a while. Yeah. And so, how are you seeing stores dealing with that challenge? Because obviously, a rise in interest rate technically really puts pressure on payment, right? Are customers finding room for that payment or are they sacrificing a vehicle, an already pretty expensive vehicle for that? Well, one, I mean, I, I approach it from an, an F&I perspective because that's, uh, you know, that that's my beat. Yep. We did find proportions. We, we The Automotive News, we recently did a dealer outlook survey of, of the industry and we found percentages of double digit percentages of dealers that were planning on either they were either assumed they would sell fewer fi coverages per per vehicle or they they thought their 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 margin would drop in terms of you know the, the like the interest rate you know itself or the you know the, the revenue they make from being the middleman putting the the customer together with the loan so those were two 
so those are two things we're kind of looking at. The the product one is an F and I person is something obviously I'm I'm paying close attention to. You know what does that does that cut into products or anything like that, or does it you know or is it still like a or do they stay they stay fine because customers need to still protect their investment, especially when they're paying X amount of dollars per month for it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Auto News reported that that in the public space, so auto dealers look at average generated per unit on profit. A couple of the publics actually had a decline in their average profit per unit out there. In fact, one of your headlines in, in this past episode or issue was two public CFNI profit per, profit per car falling Q4. The rest seem to have either been flat or still had an increase. Yeah. Obviously, you know, some of the factors that Im- impact that you cite in the article Auto News does is in inflation, interest rate, and then obviously increased value and, and the pressure that puts on. Any 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 thoughts as you're working on these articles about kind of where we head from here? Does there continue to be that pressure? Do you see relief as like we get into this new norm, maybe the consumer becomes some to it? What's kind of your take on that as you're talking with your client, your, the subjects you're interviewing in the world? Well, we just, yeah, we, we also, we did feature a guest column recently from a, you know, a a finance manager. And, and, and it was really the customers and it kind of his take was, look, customers are going to, are going to complain, but that's something that's kind of out of everybody's hands. And, you know, yeah. same with inflation, it's not, and it's kind of like, you can, as a, you know, as a retailer, you can kind of, you just acknowledge it and kind of move on. It, it's because it's not anything, you know, they, you know, you empathize with them, I suppose, but it's not anything that can really be changed. And, you know, I think his you know, take was, yeah, we're all kind of in this together right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it, from what from his perspective, yeah, the customers do, you know, ultimately kind of reach that acceptance stage, you know, with, with this. I mean, the, the Fed does what the Fed's going to do. It's yeah. nothing that the consumer or the dealership can really change. And, the you yeah. know, the lenders have to their cost of funds went up, so they have to react accordingly as well. Yeah. So when you think about the F&I departments in the automotive space, what are the biggest headwinds coming into this year that you see? Obviously, you know, inflation is one, interest rates are another. Are there any other big ones that you see as obstacles that could be turned to opportunity this year? You know, I'm, I'm not sure how, it, how it, it looks in terms of opportunity, but, but in terms of a headwind, the, I was on a webinar with a couple of lenders. I think one was, one was more of kind of like a subprime lower credit tier. The other one, I th- I want to say they were they might be more thin file. I'm not entirely sure, but again, kind of, and both they're, they they both pointed out that a big concern this year could be delinquencies. Over the last couple of years, because of COVID and the stimulus and all that, and you know nobody had anything to spend money on, the delinquencies have been weighed down. People have been able to make their car payments. Well, now they're starting to tick back and put and and you know reaching kind of pre-COVID levels, and so that's that's going to be a concern for because it you know you could face tighter credit you know both for the dealerships and the customers and then you know there's i depending on i guess how quickly the person defaults on the loan that could be an issue in terms of chargebacks for a dealership the other the other headwind that was um that is possible this year is would be fraud and that's that's something where as a dealer it's something that's been on the rise and, and also as a lender in the past couple of years, you know, the, they say that that can be kind of a double-edged sword with digital retail. It's a lot easier to, you know, book a deal and you might not be who you're, you 
claiming to be. And that could be an, more of an issue. We, we kind of f- follow the point predictive trends and that's something they seem to see as you know a growing concern in the industry. What's the solution to the fraud piece? We've seen that, right? There's attempts on all all sites, you know, all angles to come either steal the vehicle flat out off our lot or now right. more commonly it's to try to take it through fraud. I mean, it, that's a big problem. Yeah, oh yeah. And I mean, you know, I guess part of it is just one one thing I've heard is dealers can ask their lenders or, you know, kind of experts in the field for actual training because it's kind of like they're not trying to send you know, fraud deals to the bank. They're just not sure what to look for. And so yeah. that can help better training of the staff. You know, there's technology out there where they'll they'll run the person's name against, you know, public records and see if it, any of it checks out that, you know, let's say you're claim I'm, you know, I'm claiming to be you, Sam, but like the phone number I'm giving you has no, based on, you know, public records or, you know, LexisNexis has no connection to any, you know, to you at all. There's, there's solutions out there that'll flag that sort of thing for a dealership or a lender, you know, where it's like, okay. And what I, what we heard is generally once you ask for kind of, okay, can you, you know, provide an extra piece of proof or something like that? Usually the the fraudsters just take off, you know, that that kind of nips it in the bud, you know, and for a legitimate customer, you can just kind of explain like, look, we're, you know, we're trying to look out for your identity is kind of how one way I've heard. So there are ways it's tough, though. It's definitely tough. And I'm sure that thieves get better and, you know, the fraud prevention gets better. The thieves get better, you know, that kind of thing. Well, as you think about it, as online transactions become more prevalent. Right. That online fraud is only going to become worse. And we are seeing, are are you seeing more digital online transactions taking place? So it's interesting, Carvana last week announced a huge quarterly loss. And I think a lot of auto dealers like to say, hey, that's proof that online sales just don't work. Do you think right. that's true? What what I'm and it's it's funny. I'm actually looking at this and the concept of virtual FI in an article right now. And and you know what's what I think you're going to run into is kind of more of a hybrid situation because the the number of people right now that are doing it truly online is very low. And there's a lot yeah. of people still want to come in and do like the test drive and that sort of thing. But what I think is going to be is is coming is consumers doing a lot more of the transaction online and then finally, you know, show up in the de- you know, in the dealership to confirm, okay, yeah, this vehicle like I, you know, the the feel is right, the you know, the the sitting in here I'm comfortable, it drives well. Like I don't think I don't think you're going to replace that physical visit, but I think you're going to from an efficiency standpoint, you're going to try to want to knock out as much of the transaction details as you can in advance, like, you know, apply for credit, you know, maybe you've kind of made decisions about, you know, the maybe possibly even the F&I products. Financing is definitely one where people seem to want to, that's going to move more and more in advance. Yeah. How, how will that move more? And really two questions for you. Sure. What is it about a vehicle transaction as you're doing your research that lends it to a human touch rather than just totally online. You know, there was the day when everybody was predicting, hey, car sales will go online just like Amazon, right? And yet many platforms have tried to do that and they just haven't been able to completely do it. What is it that brings at least some portion of that process back to a physical experience? What's your take on that? I think it's, I think it's twofold. One is the, uh, one is the, the vehicle itself. Like you've just got to see how it fits or, you know, ergonomically how it drives. I mean, you know, like there's, I remember, you know, my wife and I, last time we bought one, it was like, we were test driving it and it was kind of one of the, 
think it was one of the continuous variable transmissions. It was one of the really early ones and it just felt off. It's not like it was, yeah. you know, had any problems with it, but we just didn't yeah. like the, you know, the feel. And so that I don't, I think, I don't think you're going to get away from that. The other thing, the two other things, one is that you, you'd ask me what surprised me in the industry. One was the number of people who didn't have a specific vehicle in mind where it was still like, I'm, I'm open to anything. And so in that kind of sense, you, you, you certainly would want to talk to an expert like a, you know, a salesman, just the way you would with like a realtor where yeah. I don't know what I'm looking for. Well, I'm kind of looking for something that does this in this price range. What do you have? And that's where, I mean, probably with, you know, it sounds like with a human being, you, you'd need them in there. The, the other application I've heard is with the F and I products is something that people are, that you won't be able to do. It's funny. We I follow since I, I I'm the beat reporter for Asbury, and they post their their click lane statistics, which is their purely online one. And so I I've been watching, and so far the human F and I managers are still selling about 200 bucks more worth of products, you know, than the than the computer is by itself. So there's certainly there there seems to be a demand to to explain the products, to learn more about them, and. So that, so I, I do see a, you know, a role for the human being there as well. So it's interesting. You came from the auto body industry and kind mm -hmm. of got into this auto world. Some people don't grasp easily the difference between selling the physical car that you can touch, see, feel, get excited about, and then the intangibles of F&I. Did it strike sure. you as odd that there were these kind of two separate parallel processes and yet how they work together and kind of how they've become an important part of the pro purchase process? Yeah, it really, it really did. I, uh, I hadn't really, I guess I hadn't really thought about the financing as much, you know, where, how that works out. And then the idea of the loan encompassing other, you know, products that would help protect the, you know, protect the vehicle. So that, that was really interesting from a tangible sense. Also from a, from, <laughs> from a nomenclature standpoint, the fact that the, the, you know, these products kind of act a lot like insurance, but technically they're not, you know, coming in yes. from traditional property casualty insurance. It's like, well, wait a minute, you, you can't call this insurance. No, no, no. It's not insurance. It's not, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a contract, but it's not insurance. Yeah. So you've done a lot of research and I've seen some of your articles that talks about it's a friction point. F&I is in the auto dealership experience and customers will report back they want it to go faster. There's regulation and whatnot that actually drags it longer rather than shorter. What do you think the solution is to create an incredible customer experience with that F&I process in a way that meets the consumer need, the dealer need, and then also the, the, the regulatory side? Well, there's kind of two things. One is having more of the information available up front so the consumer yeah. is even aware this stuff exists. I, the, the, the number of deal webs, we, we're another article. Here's a sneak, another sneak preview. Yeah. The mar marketing firm Digital Airstrike also did a mystery shopper survey of a bunch of dealership websites and they found that when they asked for more information about like, I think this one was finance. I don't know if it was the products, but like, only 2% of the dealerships responded to their mystery shoppers. Mm. So that's something where like you can be, you can put a lot more in front of the consumer so they understand it and then they can, you know, co go forward and they actually want to hear about this stuff when they reach the dealership. They want to ask about it. There's less explanation perhaps. And, you know, and that can speed the process up. The other one I've heard, and it's not, it's not going to be, you know, some dealerships completely object to the idea, but it's one that, others have found works is to have the same person handle the sales and F&I. And so you can kind of, you can bring those, I guess, bring those topics in earlier. There's less of the handoff, which is also something where, 
you know, you've built a relationship with the salesman. Now here's this guy in the back that I don't, you know, I haven't met yes. at all. Yeah. So that, that can help there. Like that seems to, the dealerships that have done it seem to have up increases in customer service. But, you know, at the same time, there's plenty of dealerships that are well-regarded that, you know, keep separate sales and F&I staff. But yeah. I mean, those are a couple of mechanisms for doing it. So you mentioned there's some groups out there that are that are trying more of a digital F&I experience. I, I think you mentioned Asbury and others. But there, there's a delta or there's a difference between the average profit right. per or the or the average products per. What do they attribute that difference to? You know, they haven't really said. Right now, they're happy. You know, there was the big concern was going to be that the difference between the two was going to be much larger. Like that, you know, customers wouldn't self-select anything, you know, and th that hasn't been the case. So I think right now at this point, the the people who are making that stuff available on right, right now are actually pretty happy with the results. It's like, yeah, it might be lower than the humans are achieving, but it's still really, really high. And so this isn't just a, you know, we're not, we're not completely losing this, you know, this revenue stream or, you know, this part of the dealership entirely. So, but I, I yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what changes. I've heard the, I mean, customers do seem to, you know, they do seem to self-select on their own. I guess the question is what gets them to the, to pair. Yeah, it is and interesting. I, that data that you shared from Digital Airstrike suggests if the customers know more about a product before they come in, they're actually more likely to self-select, right? So it's it's in our best interest to try to educate them as best we possibly can before they ever come into the finance office. And yet, for some reason, not our group, not any group in particular, there's always been some fear about doing that too far in advance that, that will self-select you know, less. But reality kind of proves it the other way. The more people know about it, the more value they see, the more likely they are to purchase. Doesn't that seem to be what you're seeing, John? I mean, yeah, I, I can't, I, you know, I can't say I have, I have specific data one way or another, but the one that always cracks me up is, you know, you, you, I, <laughs> I go to an F&I conference and ever just, you know, Oh, Car Shield! I can't, you know, I can't stand them. It's a terror. Sorry if they're an advertiser on this podcast. Oh, no, uh, they're not. <laughs> you know, I can't stand those guys, you know. And it's like, well, yeah, but they're advertising to customers. So, like, yeah. if yeah. you've got a better product, which you know they all say they do, well, get that out in front of the customer, you know, because it yeah. seems yeah. to be it, it seems to be working. Don't just wait for them to, you know, hope that it, you know, at the end of the product, the process when you spring it on them, that they're going to yeah. pick it. Because, yeah. you know, so yeah, that, that always, like I said, that one always cracks me up. It's like, why not, you know, promote yourself more? Because it seems to be working for your competition. Yeah. And CarShield being an example of one of those products where they call or telemarket, right? And they're right, trying right. to sell it's over all, the phone. They, they buy registrations. And, you know, I think that's a fascinating point, John, because the national averages say somewhere between 42 and 50% of people buy a service contract if given the opportunity. So often a process isn't followed to help create value or awareness or knowledge right. around that product. And proof is in the fact that it's a huge industry for people just to randomly call up on the phone and ask yeah. if you want to buy one. Like we all yeah. get those calls. We all get those mailers. And as frustrating as that is, they're sending them because they're having success, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I know. I, it's funny. I always tell people what I do, like, oh, I cover the, you know, the service contracts. I'm like, not the ones that are robocalling you, you know, or yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, the good ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're right. It's, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get this kind of marketing if it didn't work. <laughs> so you might yeah. as well, you know, use those tactics on products that you think are, are better, you know, <laughs> that help your dealership yeah. and help your customers. Yeah, that's interesting. So when was the last time you bought a car, John? 
Oh man, it was, it was, boy, 2015 or 16. It was a 2012 Civic. My wife's car had gone belly up. So, so yeah. I am not going to ask you where you bought it or if you even bought it from a car dealership. One of the things we're focused on yeah. is creating an ultimate automotive experience. And that means something different to everyone else. But if in your perfect world, what would a great experience be to you? Now that you know the industry, you talk to people within the industry, what does that look like, a great experience to John? Boy, certainly the certainly the the speed the speed issue that customers mention, I can I can certainly relate to that. I, as far as far as I know, when we bought the Civic, it was pretty quick. But yeah. the car we bought before that, 2006 Escape in like 2012 or something like that, or I think is when we bought it. And I remember it was we went in the dealership in the morning, and I was supposed to be at work by like one. You know, and and I'm like, oh, you know, of course we'll make it because we, you know, we picked out the car. No, it was you know like four and a half hours or whatever it was, and you know, and, and it was just like, boy, this is you know, this is kind of long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, the yeah, the, I guess so. I guess that the speed thing is certainly an issue. I, I I would I can definitely relate to the idea of you know having the stuff available in advance in terms of the financing. Yeah. arrangement you know i, I could transparency and simplicity that help you make a decision that's a good decision right 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 well and that and it's like i know i'm a book for you know this amount and you know so there's no there's no issue there we're not you know i'm not sweating it we're not waiting on a bank i don't you know any any stipulations required i could have provided in advance i mean you know i think my credit's pretty good but you know what i mean like if that was if there was any extra paperwork we could knock that out like while i'm watching tv or something like that yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah so it, it's been fascinating talking to you we appreciate yeah. you being on the second episode and we'd love to have you back before we <laughs> let you go though is there anything else interesting that you're working on in the auto news world that is fascinating to you or or is is something that you're excited to to put out in the world or you have put out in the world that you think is particularly interesting? Well, I, I did. We did do an interesting one on it was some research from cars.com of people that were going to buy that were, you know, planning to buy a car this year. And it was fascinating from a perspective of actually somebody for somebody working in a dealership. I would encourage them to go take a look at that because you you know what your customer is kind of looking for in advance. I mean, you know, they're, they're planning on bringing this much as a down payment. They've been saving for this amount of, you know, this amount of time. And so that's, that felt like some good intelligence into, you know, what the, what the shoppers want. This, this percentage is going to bring in a trade in and this percentage isn't sure, but they might. And so, you know, just to kind of start thinking about who your customer could be in advance. The other one that uh, I haven't gotten to it yet, but what one of the trends we're looking into is when credit unions have been on a roll, they've been just gobbling up yeah. market share. They've been, I mean, you know, and they're traditionally more competitive than other lenders out there. But from what Experian has told me, they're much more competitive. Like the spread between them and everybody else on interest rates is much, much higher, I guess, lower technically. They're they're beating yeah. them by so much more than they normally would be. And so I'm I'm very curious to see when that I guess when that returns to normal or if it does, or, and, and I've kind of heard, you know, I've heard some people say that, well, like that, no, I can start to, I'm starting to compete with credit unions again. And I couldn't before. And I've heard other people saying, no, they're still, you know, <laughs> they're still going strong. I have no idea what it's going to. So yeah. that's, that's been a fascinating trend. Do you hear frustration in the marketplace at, at not being able to finance through a credit, a bank versus a credit union or dealers through indirect lending now have access right. to credit. Right. So do you see a preference by most dealers for one or the other? 
Yeah, and I was talking to some dealers on that, and and usually what what they'll do, what they can do is two things. I heard one was, all right, I'm I'm not going to try to add a margin for for doing the deal, but if the customer yeah. comes in and they've got approval by a credit union that I work with, the dealers will say, look, let or the dealer that was telling me this, he's like, look, just let me have the deal. It'll be the same interest rate, but I get paid so much faster. The money moves so much quicker when yeah. it's done when I do it through my system. You know, and, and so the customers are like, yeah, OK. The other one I've heard is to compete. It's like, OK, yeah, I'll match the credit union. I'll match your credit union's rate. Again, you 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 don't maybe charge as much of a margin for being the middleman on the loan. But I can at least then I can you know sell them F&I products like I've got room to still make that presentation, yeah. you know, because you don't want the customer just to walk away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you're right. A lot of a lot of dealerships work with all the same credit unions in their area. So, I mean, it's not like they're, you know, they're, there's certainly options. It's not like they're going to lose the deal entirely. Yeah. It is interesting, though. You, you look, Automotive News reported two lenders, I think, this week that either decided they were closing business or were getting out. We've seen multiple lenders over the past month, right, including some rather large names. You know, yeah. if we're coming into a time with escalating interest rates and if there's a big delta between credit, it, it does make an interesting point. What ends up happening to these, these traditional lenders that focus in the auto space? You know, adverse selection is a real thing. If they end up yeah. with the lower FICO and the higher risk loans, you know, that's going to put pressure on their balance and their ability to provide a return. Does that that probably doesn't serve the auto industry very well, does it? No, I mean, you're right. It's it's the, you know, when we talked to when one of them, my colleague wrote one of the two lenders that went under and I, or not went under, stopped lending. And, yeah. and then we had one where I covered one where they, they were still lending, but they had done a bunch of layoffs and, yep. you know, and the, the deals were being funded more slowly. And, and so it, it's, you know, that obviously that hurts the dealership because it's, you know, it's source of financing that isn't there anymore for their customers. And you're right, there there is the there is an adverse selection risk, I suppose. I, I think what lenders will try to do is you either get, you know, there's there there is new technology to kind of evaluate risk in ways that you maybe didn't before. The artificial intelligence and machine learning can help, you know, look at variables that maybe you didn't in the past. So that can help you kind of mitigate the risk and charge lower rates without, you know, opening yourself yeah. up. So, I mean, that, that can kind of help, I think. That's probably the big one. The other one I've heard is just lenders trying to automate and streamline more of the process, you know, where you don't, you know, maybe you don't need a human to look at, you know, like, I don't, I'm making this number up, but, you know, like 70% yeah. of the loans that, you know, they come in yeah. with this, yeah. these metrics, you're going to approve it. So what do you need the guy, you know, let's move that faster. We can cut the expenses down and, and you know, and, you know, charge yeah. a little bit lower interest rates. Well, and the spin to us, we've heard that from some of our preferred lenders is, hey, we're going to automate the easy calls and then we're yeah. going to put more human attention on the tougher ones and try to provide yeah. you better service. We all know, you know, it saves some expense. And if they do that, then, then yeah. you know, there, there's there's probably, there's probably some benefit there. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the cars.com article. You mentioned automating mm -hmm. lending and all that. There really is so much more data and AI assistance in what we do. To make yeah. us better at what we do, the challenge is like just figuring out what data to look at, what to believe. Right? There's so much data, and candidly, some of the data conflicts. Right? Right. Uh, you know, and I don't ever want to say that something put out by one conflicts with something put out by the other. But as I look at the average interest rate we looked at last week, and then even some data you guys published, there's a difference between the average percent interest. Now, 
everybody's looking at different data sets, but right. it, it does it does get to be interesting which one do you rely on to make to make big big decisions. So I'm curious as a reporter, yeah. one last question. <laughs> Chat GPT. How does that change your world? Have you read yeah. Have you read the Chat GPT article yet? Yeah, you know it's funny. I, I I was curious on how. I mean, obviously, it can write natural language, and that's and it's just fascinating how it, how it can expound. Isn't it though? Yeah. yeah. But I wanted to check out how it is on facts. You know, like okay, I, I think I asked him about Asbury's earnings or something, just because that's yeah. again this company I cover. And their yeah. the data they were looking at was about. It might have been a, a like a year old or something like that. So I, I wasn't so a little bit yeah. more job security, I suppose, at least until they yeah. can you know pull a fresh set. But yeah, but no, the AI is is fascinating. What it what it'll do? What what's possible down the road? It does present some interesting copyright and ownership questions. If you can go to AI and ask it, hey, you know, tell me what John Hutter's up to. And yeah. it will it will read our, all those articles that normally someone would have to pay to subscribe to through, through Auto News, and they never come to your paper, but they still get the they get the recap of. Isn't that kind of interesting that at some point the path to that revenue might even become more complex than it is today in a day when you know most people get the Auto News as an example print, but yeah. I, I it goes straight to the bin for me. Like I read it online, I never read sure. print print paper. What do you think of that? Like, how, how does AI and things like ChatGPT make your world more complicated? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It, I guess it depends on how good they program the bot or whatever its ability to actually get to the data on the site. Because, you know, if you, you know, if you try to Google one of our articles that's a subscriber only and, you know, you click on it, well, you're going to hit the subscriber only menu. So I don't know. You're right. Yeah. You, uh, do you, I guess, do you buy chat GPT a subscription and then it, you know, it gets to, then you're right. Then it doesn't get to just, as long as it knows how to like put in that information, then could it go it, behind the paywall. Can right, right. Exactly. Go behind the paywall. Yeah. 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 And I guess we'll have to think of whatever it is that, you know, like something like pay-per-view does where, you know, okay, a bar bought one subscription to a fight yeah. and it's showing it to like 200 people in there that, you know, HBO is yeah. not making that money, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that all that all continues to play out. The truth of technology though, is free markets are awesome and they do a great job yeah. of finding ways to survive even in changing environments. But chat GPT, I've asked it to do many things and it's amazing. A lot, oftentimes inaccurate, but it is amazing. It's ability to become creative and, and it's, Oh yeah, it, just how like it it that it does I guess stay on track as much as it does is really interesting. You know, yeah, it isn't just yeah. like okay, you know, you thought you trained it pretty well, but the model learned something that you totally didn't expect, and now it's just gibberish. But no, it yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely fun to play with. Yeah, well, John Hunter, absolutely appreciate you today. Thanks for being our second guest on Meet the Automotive Press, and appreciate you. Hope you'll come back soon. Great, thanks, Sam. Hey, Carrie Drake, race director, Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. So, Carrie, there's some exciting stuff going on in the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon world. We're, we're down to what? How many days until marathon, until the race day? 43 days. I can't believe it. It's come so fast. Where, where did the year go? I feel like we just did it last year and now we're back on it. This is amazing. Yeah, that's what happens when you're in sort of a, a growth and building phase. I know you guys know what that feels like. Well, it's been fun to be alongside you this past year and to watch kind of this get kind of come into 
come into view what what will become this year's Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon. So it's been fun seeing you on social media this past week or a couple weeks ago, being able to highlight one of the iconic features of the full marathon, the half marathon and the 10K. Tell us a little bit about where you were able to run this past week. Yeah, so we're so lucky that Western Michigan University is allowing us to run through Waldo Stadium, the football stadium. And with the marketing team, who's just a creative bunch of people, we thought it'd be pretty funny originally to have Buster tackling me as I ran through the stadium. Well, we had to be a little more gentle than that. So <laughs> last week, when there was nice weather, thankfully, we were able to get a chance to do some videoing there with Buster himself. And hopefully you've seen it on our Facebook or Instagram platforms. If you haven't, go check it out. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it was pretty fun. And it just happened to be that there were some football players who were training and we recruited them to be in it too. And they were super excited about that. <laughs> they, they actually tackled Buster. You talk about Buster tackling you. They tackled Buster in one of the scenes. So you have some insight into Buster. So nobody really knows who these, you know, who, who these mascots are. You have some insight into Buster. What was it like meeting Buster? <laughs> yeah. So when we walked up, Buster has a manager, a handler. And, and so we could speak to Buster through the handler to, to get to know what the expectations were. But Buster doesn't talk and wouldn't talk. And so you had to do a lot of yes or no's. I started at one point trying to guess at what major they were, because there's six students or so who actually play Buster, but it's shrouded in mystery of who they are, and they can't speak, and they have to be in, in Buster character all the time, and he did a fabulous job, this whoever was Buster, but it was Buster, so it's oh, <laughs> fun. So here's what's great about this, Carrie. At the Ziegler Auto Group, we're professionals, right? We sell cars all day long. We service cars. We create an ultimate automotive experience for our customers. It will be interesting as Team Ziegler participates in the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon because Buster will be there, right, on race day. Buster as... will be cheering you on. So here's what will be fascinating. Can Team Ziegler get Buster to speak? <laughs> and... Yeah, yeah. Be nice about it, everybody. Be nice. Don't be yeah. Buster cry or anything. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Angry. Yeah. What a cool, <laughs> what a cool, challenge. what a cool tradition and, and what a neat thing that you've been able to bring to the marathon running through that stadium. That is going to be just awesome to be running through there as if you're a football player or any one of the other athletes that performs in that iconic place. That's going to be a lot of fun. If you haven't seen it, Team Ziggler and, and our podcast audience, go to social media, the Ziggler Kalamazoo Marathon social pages, and you can see Carrie there with Buster and the football players here in the last couple of weeks. So, Carrie, let's do an update. Let's see where Team Ziggler sits on the registrations. Part of our vision and, and goal, Aaron's, in bringing the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon to Team Ziegler is to bring the house. We want to have more people at the marathon than any other organization. And as you know, we're incredibly competitive. So let's give an update, our top three, and then we've got an interesting tie on, on fourth. But let's start with third place, Carrie. That's right. Actually, I think you wrote I haven't. All right. Third, yep. All right. Third place. Third, third place is corporate, right? That's know. not... That's not terribly exciting because we're a little biased because we're involved in it. Although I must tell you, Carrie, I will register this week. My name is not on the registration yet. So Look I think I think I'm some people disclose that. I, I mean, that's I, important. I'm going to disclose it. I will register this week, you know, to the rest of Team Ziggler that is going to run and wants to be there. You, you just got to get that done. Brian Applin sent out emails with the codes. Make sure you register with the codes. All right, Carrie, second place. Second and first place second come from the same place. city. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so in second and first, I can remember that. That's yep. mean well, but I yes. think you have the exact... 
Second place is Plainwell Ford, which is pretty exciting. And then first place is Plainwell Chrysler. Congrats to them. The race is not over, so to speak. But here's the fascinating thing. In fourth place, we have a three-way tie. And fourth place could actually easily overtake first if they got any number of their employees to register. So in fourth place, three-way tie by rider. Motorsports, who we know will show up race day because they're local. And then congrats to the first out-of-area team coming from the Chicagoland. Orland Park Nissan is in this four-way tie. So by rider, Motorsports, Orland Park Nissan. Carrie, it's going to be awesome to see a ton of people come from the Chicagoland, won't it, to race in the yeah. Ziegler Kalamazoo? Yeah. yeah, the Midwest region, I think, has a lot of runners. I mean, we're lucky in Kalamazoo to house many, many of them. But we are excited to see for the early spring kickoff of this fun season to have them at the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon. So we are a competitive group, as you know, Carrie, and you came across that here recently as you visited <laughs> a large organization, the Stryker Corporation, one of the largest medical manufacturers in the world, this past week. Tell us about what happened to you when you were at Stryker. <laughs> yeah, so it was actually last month. We get an opportunity to visit a lot of our sponsors, and we were there during lunchtime at the Stryker Instruments Campus, which is going to be another feature of our course for the marathon. And as I was sitting there, they assumed that I was a Ziegler employee and just said, hey, you're in the step challenge, aren't you, with athletic mentors? And and I said, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what you're talking about. They said, you work for Ziegler, right? And I you know, said, no, I'm the race director of the race itself, but obviously work very closely with Ziegler because, you know, they're our title sponsor. And they said, well, we're going to bring it during the step challenge. And they were just very excited to uh, throw some shade your way. <laughs> well, so I'm here to tell you, we are equally excited to throw some shade back. And in fact, someone from Striker Corporate is going to come on on the podcast, do a live stream with us shortly once they get the appropriate approvals. But Carrie, do you want to know where we sit as of today? So we're recording this on Friday, March 10th. The most recent update shows us at this. OK, so it's the month of March. We've got many days left. Striker has stepped Almost 5.1 million steps, 5,078,950. Ziggler, we're at 4.1 million, right? So it's it's less than 800,000 or 900,000 step difference, which we can easily get there if we just get more people recruited to join the, the cause. And in fact, Carrie, we need you to join us because we know you're walking. You are <laughs> enough of us. We're going to register you. I'm going to get with athletic mentors. We'll we'll get you joined in. If it's um, allowable, I think. If I it's think, allowable, yes. If that's, it's allowable, I'll, I'd be happy to step on Ziggler's behalf. Sorry, Striker. All you, you Striker <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> and, and then what we're doing is at the end of the contest, if Aaron, if Ziggler Auto Group loses, Aaron will have to deliver a trophy to Striker Corp. If Striker loses... Striker will have to deliver it to Aaron. And I can tell you, we're pretty competitive with that. We think it'll be a cheetah with a stethoscope or something similar. So we'll make it all sorts of fun. But let's talk about this. So we've basically done 10 million steps. By the time this airs on Monday, we'll have hit that 10 million mark. I did a little math, Carrie. So 10 million steps is equal to 4,735 miles. That's a lot of miles. Yeah, it is. And then we ran the math on that, Carrie, right? That is 181 Ziegler Kalamazoo marathons. That's a lot, that's of, marathons. A lot of marathons. Right. <laughs> so that's going to be exciting because Ziegler and Stryker are both already getting ready for the marathon. And then you and I talked a little bit about what else you could do in 4,735 miles, Carrie. Yeah, you can cross the United States, go yeah. there and back, right? Yeah. The U.S. width-wise is 2,600 miles, so you could almost do a full round trip if you lined everybody up. So. 
just some interesting fast facts. Carrie, you guys remind are moving. That's beautiful. I we're moving. That. That's right. We're active. Remind us again what brought you into this marathon and running world. Why do you run? Why do you move? Yeah. What's your I mean, that goes a long time ago to just about seventh grade, sixth grade, I think. And I was on the basketball team, loved basketball, played soccer. But my brother had run cross country and I saw the cross country team go out in the fall. And I said, hey, basketball coach, I'm just going to check out cross country. Oh, no. And I never, and I, never <laughs> I know. And, and they, to their dismay, allowed me to go. And I tried it and I just never looked back. The beautiful thing that I was drawn into it is that there's so much individual drive and resilience that you need to tap into. And, and it's also in the context of community that is ever supportive and, and is just an amazing thing. And that's been true from cross country in middle school all the way through cross country in high school. And then as I joined Gazelle Sports and worked for them and did community outreach and started to run my first marathon. So that, that draw and the community of it, as well as what I need to do individually to be successful is there's nothing like it. It's transformative. And people feel that out there on the course. I mean, Matt talks about it all the time, Matt Thomas, about seeing individuals cross the finish line and it just being life-changing. Yeah. And it is interesting. You mentioned the penal element of it. It's a unique sport because it is community where you can enjoy being around other people. You feel the electricity of race day and the community leading up to and on that day. But then it's also a very individualized effort in that mm -hmm. you're competing only with yourself, right? right? Right. What advice would you give to anyone listening to this that's kind of on the fence that may or may not want to join? Maybe they haven't started training yet. So they're like, hey, I realistically can't get to a marathon, which if you haven't started yet, that's fair. You probably need to focus on a different length. But what, what advice would you give to somebody that hasn't made that commitment yet? Yeah, you know, I think fear and self-doubt can really get in the way. Letting yourself know first and foremost that you are capable and you can do it is is working with your mindset. Taking that first step and even committing to five minutes a day of walking is going to start to prove to yourself that you are capable and you can do it. And you're somebody who's following through on a daily basis to do that. We have a 5K walk. If you have a family, we have a 1K for your kid that if they're young enough, you can you can go with them. So there, the, the access and the ease of access is, is pretty easy there. And again, it can feel really daunting. So I would challenge you to go out five or 10 minutes and commit to that every single day and move your body. And if you can do that between now and the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon, not only are you going to prove to yourself that you can keep a habit and you've built a habit, but then you start to build the foundation to go farther and farther. And if a marathon is your goal, you're going to get there because you've started to build that foundation today. That is awesome advice, Carrie. And to entire Team Ziggler, anyone listening to the podcast, take Carrie's advice. All the competition we talked about moments ago aside, you know, <laughs> we win as, a, as an auto group. We win as members and participants of the marathon by having as many people participate. Not time, not speed, not distance. Right. We are better for more being there. And it is going to be truly a like on race day, whether you're there to walk, to run, or even just to spectate or support or help. Carrie, if someone wants to be a volunteer on race day, how could they do that? How could they participate, reach out to you and let you know that? Yeah, head to head to our website, actually, ZieglerKamsyMarathon.com. And there's a section or a, a menu tab called Get Involved that has a drop down. You'll click volunteer and all our volunteer options are there. 
If you do have a group that has a lot of people that you want to get involved, you can check out what's available, but also I would suggest then emailing us directly at hello at ZieglerCallumZooMarathon.com or volunteer at ZieglerCallumZooMarathon.com and we will be able to follow up with you and say, what's the size of your group? What are you thinking you want to achieve with this? Because sometimes it's team building. Sometimes it's, we just want to support the race and we're going to work with you to figure out what works best for you and your group to plug you in. Because there are lots of volunteer opportunities all weekend long, starting as early as Thursday, April 20th, going all the way through Sunday to around 3 or 4 p.m. That'll be awesome to be there. I saw some emails from Tom, who's who's part of the race committee, highlighting some of the returning features of the race. So Gummy Bear Forest, I think is what it's mm-hmm. called, the Bacon Station, and some of the other cool stops that have have kind of differentiated the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon from other races out there. It's going to be exciting to see those. Are there is there anything new that you can think of that's coming to the race this year that that participants, that volunteers, and others that show up may be interested in or excited to hear? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest piece that we are excited about beyond the events themselves on Sunday is Saturday. And we are going to create more than just the expo and packet pickup. We're creating a downtown Kalamazoo experience with other vendors and and other businesses that are based there. So you're going to see things that are different than a typical expo. Not only will you have that expo experience with vendors, but you'll have Vintage in the Zoo hosting a mini mart. And Vintage in the Zoo is going to bring together a bunch of vintage vendors that you can check out. You're going to have some health checkups and a lot of engagement from Ascension Borges, which they had done in the past with the Borges Run. They weren't able to do it last year, but they're coming back crazily. They're going to have some awesome things. We also are adding a movement piece. So about every hour starting at 11 to 3 on the hour, Orange Theory is going to be joining us and supporting us with some movement-based classes with other, yeah, with other businesses as well. There will be a car show component and, and that might be creative and we don't know exactly what that looks like, but we're ironing that out. And then Southwest Michigan First is going to do a parade of companies right on the mall, which means we're featuring the awesome companies that exist in Kalamazoo. It's just going to be a family-friendly event and something for everyone. DJ Check will be playing music there. We'll have beer and food trucks. Of course, non-alcoholic beverages will be available as well. So face painting, balloon animals, like a little bit of everything for everyone. So everyone can be down there. Everyone can participate in one level or another. Carrie, have you ever done an Orange Theory class? You mentioned Orange Theory and movement. <laughs> yeah, that, I <laughs> I'm here to tell you that is a tough deal because the whole idea is you got to keep your heart rate in the orange and they put you on, they strap you onto a heart monitor. That'll be fascinating. I'm excited to see how they gamify that. So I love things. Yeah, makes we'll a game see. We had a we had a preliminary conversation, so we'll see, but they're excited to be involved and, and get out in the community. I think I think since COVID, a lot of businesses and a lot of us just are yeah. ready to be together again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Save me some bacon. Save me some gummy bears. I'm going to get registered this week. Team Ziggler, if you haven't done it, read to everyone else out there, go to ZieglerKalamazooMarathon.com to register for the race as soon as you can. Carrie, we appreciate you being here with us today. And thanks for all you're doing for the Ziggler Kalamazoo Marathon. Yeah, thank you. Get those steps in. A special thanks to Automotive News' John Hutter and Ziggler Kalamazoo Marathon's Carrie Drake for contributing to this week's episode. Until next week. 
How are you driving vision today? 